Okay, do me a favor and uh, turn to the second chapter of uh, the book of Revelation. And as somebody corrected us, which is fine, uh, it is not Revelations. It's the book of Revelation. And that's fine. I mean, I'm, I'm saying that in a good way because it's the revealing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you came and traveled with us last week, uh, we uh, talked about the divine outline. And I want to remind you of the divine outline. And that outline is found in the 19th verse of the first chapter of the book of Revelation. See, John here, very old man, is on the island of Patmos because apparently he'd been sharing the gospel and Rome uh, sent him to prison camp, basically. And they put him on this island that was rocky and, you know, pretty bare, and uh, he received word here in a vision, or these visions, or vision, uh, this word from the Holy Spirit, from Jesus himself, to write these things down and to um, go and tell seven churches in an area. I have, hopefully we can pull that up, uh, Kelly and the rest of the IT folks have a picture of those seven churches. Oh, it's hard to see. Oh, look at these guys. And there's Patmos, you see the island, and uh, we're going to start with Ephesus, Today, we're going to uh, visit at least three, hopefully seven, of these churches. But the divine outline is in chapter 19 of chapter 1. Chapter 1 is about the glorified, resurrected Jesus. That's who Paul saw, or John saw, the glorified, resurrected Jesus. And he is writing from Patmos and... He is writing because the Lord tells him to do it this way. Always good to follow the Lord's instructions, right? He, he writes this, write the things which you have seen. And he did that in chapter 1. He saw the resurrected, glorified Jesus Christ. So he wrote it down. And he gave it to you in chapter 1. He gave it to us. And then it says, and the things which are, the things which are, dealing with the church age. And so he picks, guess how many churches? Seven, the number of completeness. Do I think he actually wrote this letter to these seven churches? Yes. But there's something else going on. He's writing a number of completeness. By the way, you notice Galatia's not on there. You ever heard of that church? Uh, Corinth. Or the Corinthians isn't there. You ever heard of that church? Oh, Colossae, Colossians, ever heard of that church? There's some famous churches that John didn't write to. I wonder why. Here's the beautiful part of it. Listen to this. God knew in the number of completeness what was going on in each church, which is interesting. He knows what's going on in our church better than we know ourselves. (laughs) And he knew it so perfectly, he knew these were the issues that would uh, be perfect to to talk about and record in the scriptures 
So we get a postal route, yes, maybe, but also the ones that Jesus wants to talk about, uh, give them uh, uh, some compliments, but also tell them where they need to uh, uh, work on, those sorts of things, and he goes right around the clock there. Ephesus, Smyrna, you got it, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, the number of completeness. So all of these, when he addresses them, as you're going to see, say things like this. He who has an ear, let him hear. Which means he not only addresses the church, he addresses the people in the church, and he addresses us because we have ears. You see what I'm saying? Oh, there's probably one other thing that the Lord's doing here. And we'll talk about this at the end uh, when we get through chapter 3. Many people believe that each one of these churches represent a historical uh, time frame in the church. For instance, Ephesus represents the apostolic age and the near post-apostolic age. You get that? And... Pergamos, in the era of the church, represents that time, or excuse me, Smyrna, uh, in the, in the uh, period of time uh, in the church age, represents that time from about A.D. 100 to A.D. 312, specifically 312, uh, because there were ten waves of persecution. And you're going to see that the Lord uh, refers to ten days of persecution. And so, and so on and so forth, and we're going to talk about that too, okay? So you get what I'm saying? These letters, of course, are written to a church that had issues and problems and good things going on back at the time. But he's also writing to churches at large, then and now, here we are, we're the church, and to specific people, have an ear to hear. You, you hear this too, Right? And then, probably, he's documenting, or I don't know if probably is the right word, many people believe that he's documenting the whole of church history, and we'll talk about that. Isn't that fascinating? One other thing that's really neat, you can study this on your own. We probably won't study it here in the, in the sanctuary during these times. Uh, some commentators... Guess how, guess how many uh, uh, parables there are in Matthew 13? Seven. And he, some commentators uh, think each parable in sequential order matches up with what's going on in each church. Isn't that fascinating? I'll let you uh, do that on your own. Oh, side note. Several people now have come up to me because I say it all the time. I just thought you knew uh, it's my fault, it, and it's no, no slam on anyone. It's just, <laughs> what's a Berean? <laughs> well, you can look it up in Acts 17.11. Okay, so Acts 17.11, what would happen was Paul would teach people, and the Bereans would go, okay, that's great, but we're going to go back and search the Scriptures to make sure what you said is biblical. So being a Berean is checking the Scriptures, and I commend that to you. Now listen, I grew, or excuse me, we, we grew up in Ohio, uh, right in the middle of the state of Ohio, okay? 
And uh, right near Columbus, little town near there, we grew up together, didn't really know each other much, but uh, after uh, high school, after law school, I went to law school, she moved to Atlanta. My wife and I got married, and we lived for about two and a half years in Newark, Ohio, of all places, and hopefully somebody is watching in Newark. But then we had something weird happen to us in a good way. We moved to Hawaii. <laughs> we moved to Hawaii for four years, and man, was it a blast. We loved it. We loved it. And I coach football at the University of Hawaii, okay? And the only reason I'm telling you that is I was, you think I'm busy now? You should have seen then. I was really busy. I'd leave at 5.30 in the morning. I'd come home around 11.30 at night, and almost every day. And I worked every Saturday, and I worked every Sunday, except for in the summer times, we would get some breaks for weekends. And, you know, we're relatively new uh, marrieds, right? We've been married for a while, but we're relatively new. And so we, we didn't really see each other too much in the first uh, couple years uh, at Hawaii because I was always gone. I'd get up and I'd run to work and I'd run home, but it would be early and late. But anyway, uh, one weekend we had the opportunity to, <laughs> to go to the North Shore. Anybody here heard of the North Shore of Hawaii? Well, you should because uh, some pretty awesome waves and surfers live up there and also, you know, um, surf, of course. And, you know, I mean, you're newly married and you want to hang out and have fun and play in the surf and do all this stuff. And we kind of get our beach chairs out and, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and so I'm thinking, okay, so now we're, you know, we'll throw a ball or do something fun because I can't sit still too long, right? And, uh, you know, and my wife, <laughs> she finds this little boy. <laughs> and the parents weren't really paying attention to the little boy. And I'm thinking to my, you know what, I'm just being honest what I'm thinking to myself. Guys, could you pay attention to your kids so my wife doesn't have to play with him? That's what I'm thinking. Because, you know, we don't see each other much. We, uh, you know, I mean, here we are. We're right here on the North Shore. We can hang out and just have a blast. And, and no, you know, parents don't care. They're just doing their thing. So my wife just gets the boy and uh, sits down with a sand bucket, and they start playing sand or doing something, and I'm just sitting over there like, oh, you know, just with a crappy attitude. Sorry, that shouldn't be on the tape. Oh, just a terrible attitude. Oh, my goodness. We've had, uh, you know, all this time. Let's get to the fun stuff. Let's get to the events. Let's get to the, the, the you know, playing in the surf or the doing, the, you know, go out there and swim with the sharks and the whole shooting match. And then it dawned on me. <laughs> The Lord was trying to teach me something, right? Because I'm an event person. You know, things on the list, let's get them done. And oftentimes what I do is I miss the people for the events. You get it? And some of you, and Jan doesn't, she always stops for the people. And sometimes that means the events are late, but that's another story. But, <laughs> but that taught me something, and that should teach you something right here in the book of Revelation. Because, see, you all want to get to chapter 4 and chapter 5 and talk about the rapture. 
and think about the rapture. And then you want to get to chapter 6 through 19, and you want to learn all about the tribulation period. You want to see pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib. You want to see whether the Lord is really coming back to the earth, and you want to discover what's going to happen in the first part of the tribulation period, what's going to happen at the middle point of the tribulation period when the uh, Antichrist comes and establishes himself. You want to learn about peace treaties. You want to learn about all those sorts of things. And uh, uh, by the way, so do I. But guess what the Lord does first? He talks about the people. He's going to get to the stuff. But see, the Lord wants to get to the people. And so for the next two chapters, he focuses on the churches and the bride of Christ. Isn't that fascinating? So that's what we want to do is we want to read these things, but also, obviously, he's sending it to a church. So we're going to learn about the churches and how they existed at the time and what they were and all that sort of thing, but also what their problems were and then what the Lord said to do in response. And, you know, you might be tempted to go, can we get to chapter 4? But the Lord wasn't tempted that way. Paradigms. And all those sorts of things, listen, people were first or are first to the Lord. Isn't that beautiful? So here, let's start uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Knowing that we've just read the divine outline, the things which you've seen, chapter 1, the things which are, chapters 2 through 3, and the things which will take place after this, that's 6 through 19, he come, that's the tribulation. He comes back in the middle of 19. That's the second coming of Christ. Chapter 20 is the millennial reign. Chapters 21 and 22 is the new heavens, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. And you, you wonder why I keep saying it? Remember what we're studying in Peter? I want to just keep putting you in remembrance of the things that you already know. And when you get done with this, you're going to be sick of me saying it. But I want, hopefully you have it here so that you can always remember the divine outline, okay? Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 2, the word of the Lord. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven gold lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, And that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not. And have found them liars. Well, the Lord was pretty blunt, wasn't he? And you have persevered, or he is. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored labored for my namesake. And have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you. That you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of of the paradise of God. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these things says the first 
And the last, who was dead and came to life, I know your works, tribulations and poverty, but you are rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say uh, they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation, how many days? Ten days. Uh, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Oh, don't you want to know what the second death is? Good, so do I. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things say he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name, and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak. And you don't think Wednesday night Old Testament is important. See, you can't really understand it unless you know the stories and numbers. But anyway, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Just, I'm not real smart, but something the, the Nicolaitans are doing is bothering the Lord, right? Okay, he, he says it twice here. Or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Oh, wow. Pray with me real quick. Lord, we need your help. Uh, to understand these things and to understand what was going on and to get through them. And Lord, so by your spirit, would you help us uh, with these things? Uh, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, Hallie's Bible Handbook has a really uh, interesting uh, quick outline of these seven churches. I only read you three, but here goes. There are two very good churches, and we're going to keep reading, so uh, we'll get to them. Smyrna and Philadelphia. Two good churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia. Two that are bad, Sardis and Laodicea. And then there's partly good, partly bad, Ephesus, Pergamos, and Thyatira. And the two good churches are interesting, Smyrna and Philadelphia, because they probably were composed of more of the common people, more people who were uh, less economically advantaged, or they were more economically disadvantaged, and they suffered persecution. Isn't that interesting? Well, the two bad churches, Sardis and Laodicea, they seem to have included like the upper crust, ruling classes, normally Christian, but also pagan in lifestyle, and Ephesus had traditional Christian doctrine and teaching and living, but it lost its first love. We read that. Pergamos was faithful to the name of Christ and didn't permit heresy. But Thyatira grew in zeal, but tolerated this thing that 
the Lord calls the heresy of Jezebel. Another plug for the Old Testament. Well, look at this. Ephesus was a pretty famous place. I told you there were some non-famous places or more famous places that he didn't include here. But Ephesus is pretty uh, uh, famous. You know, 40 years or so before uh, the time that John is recording these events, Paul had gone there. You remember that. And he uh, had converts come to Christ, and a church was built up, and it became probably uh, the biggest and most famous church in that area. By the way, this is another uh, thing. They're not for sure, but probably when they used to say, I'm writing to the church in Ephesus, there was no building where all the people came. When he says he's writing to the church in Ephesus because the church was so large and so impactful, it met in people's homes at this time. Not that I'm advocating home church versus sanctuary church or anything like that. I'm just telling you the facts. And so when they're writing this letter to Ephesus, it's including all those hundreds, hundreds of home churches that were going on at the time. Isn't that interesting? Well, Paul had been there and he'd started this church. And it said this, that Timothy, after the death of Paul, spent most of his time in this city, Ephesus. So this is really uh, a famous place. And some believe the martyrdom that he suffered under Roman rule was right here. Okay? And you know that John, after he writes this, probably then went over to Ephesus and spent his remaining years there. Now, three of Paul's letter relate to Ephesus. Ephesians, 1st and 2nd Timothy. Got that? And Ephesus, you can't quite see it on here, interesting, is halfway between the biggest and most dominant city of the world, Rome, and Jerusalem. Halfway between. This is uh, an interesting note about uh, Ephesus, about 10 years after the death of John, who's writing this, about 10 years after the death of John, uh, an emperor, a Roman emperor, sent Pliny into the Asia Minor region to investigate uh, them, uh, whether to, they should persecute the Christians. And they have a writing, an extra-biblical writing, that comes back to the emperor that Christians had become so numerous that pagan temples, which were numerous, were almost gone, and they were completely deserted 10 years after John dies. Do you get what I'm trying to say? That means the church in Ephesus was really effective. They impacted not just the people who came to church in their home churches, they impacted the culture. What, what Christ says we should do. The gates of hell cannot stand against the church. We should be taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the deepest, darkest places because it can't stand against the church. We shouldn't just be in our bubbles. Of course we should come and get revived and sharpened and refreshed and then go out and unleash the love of God in places nobody else would go. Ephesus here, this church, buddy, they did an amazing job. Well, let's go back to the text, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Again, remember, folks, 
Some people believe those angels are real angels assigned to the church. Some people, because it's messenger, means it's a letter written to the leaders or the pastors of the church to, or, or to the pastor. So to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, these things says he. Now remember from last time, we know what this, who this person is who holds the seven stars in his right hand. And if you go up a little bit in your Bible, you're going to see the seven stars of the angels of the seven church. Again, maybe the angels, maybe the pastors or the leaders. Got it? He, in other words, he is interested in who's leading your church. I don't even like saying it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but do you get that? That matters to the Lord who's leading the church. It also matters to the Lord, the church. He is keenly aware and interested of all that we're doing as a body of believers, but then also what we're doing as individuals. Come on now. So he writes this thing to the angel of the church. He stands in the middle of the, uh, uh, the churches, the lampstands, and he has these seven stars, which are the messengers. He walks in the midst of these seven golden lampstands. I said it last week, where two or three are gathered. Uh, Helen asked me that when she was a little girl. What do you mean? To, what? I, I pointed that out, but that's a great question. That means, man, when we're gathered, Jesus is here, folks. He's here. That's more real than the end of your nose. It's more real than this podium. He's here, and he's concerned, and he loves us. And he's interested. And in, I mean, we're here in little uh, West Elizabeth, Pennsylvania, which is beautiful, and we love it. But, I mean, think about it. Does the Lord ever think of us? Go to this scripture. He's right here. And he says, I know your works, Ephesus. You're a good working church. What is the works of God? To believe and to receive everything that he has. That's the works of God, to believe and to trust the Lord. And these people were doing good works, and then they were to walk in good works, the Bible tells us. So we don't get saved by good works, but we're saved unto good works, right? And he says things like this. You go find, if you have people on your radar who are oppressed or disadvantaged, that's real religion, he says. That's real walking with God, he says. So who is hurting? Who has a need? You, you don't have to go too far to find that. If there's somebody in your life that has a need and the Lord's calling you to it, go meet the need in the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, do it. I know your works. Look, these people are laborers. They're patient. Remember uh, back in uh, the epistles when they were talking about tribulations? And, uh, you know, I always think uh, at the end, you know, tribulations will develop this character and this character and this character. And I always think, well, at the end of that, cer certainly going to be holiness. And at the end of it isn't holiness. It's patience. And I'm like, whoa, patience. I'm not a patient dude. And here, look, these people were patient. They, they trusted the Lord. They waited on the Lord. They knew that the Lord would battle for them. That's part of patience. You want to manipulate the situation, so do I. But look, the Lord will do it. Am I right about that? The Lord will do it. And here he says, you have patience in that you don't bear those who uh, uh, are evil. 
In other words, you guys uh, stand up in uh, church discipline. You talk about church discipline at your church. If there's something evil going on, you just don't hide it under the camp and wink, wink at God. You deal with it, Ephesus. That's why your church has been growing. And you have tested those who say they're apostles and are not. You've tested the spirits, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, all the verses in Peter. You can recognize, do you see this? The people in Ephesians or Ephesus can recognize false doctrine. And they can recognize false teachers. And they know who that is. And you've tested those spirits. Do you see that? And they abide in the doctrine of Christ. That's 2 John 9 and 10. Catch that. I want you to write that down. 2 John 9 and 10. We are to be people who are to abide in the doctrine of Christ. I just summarized two verses for you, but it says that. Which means, Jude tells us, there's a gospel that was delivered once for all to the saints. And when people come in and start to mess with the doctrine, it ain't just the job of the pastor, although it is his job, to go and keep the sheep healthy, but the sheep need to fend off the wolves too, and to recognize the wolves, in other words, to recognize the wolves and to stay clear of the wolves, right? Okay, so that's what these people were doing, and they found them, look, the Lord was just blunt, False doctrine is a lie. It's a lie. Folks, maybe, I mean, maybe the Lord's going to bless you with Lexus and $5 million or $5,000 suit and a $6,000 watch. And if he does, God bless you. Use it for the Lord. But if you're praying to build up enough faith so that you can have all of all this stuff, i got to tell you something. That's false doctrine, and it's a lie. And it per- permeates the Christian world. We in the Christian world a lot of the times have faith in faith. And that's not faith. <laughs> when the Bible calls us to have faith in God, not faith in faith, not faith in my faith, because God got to tell you something. My faith doesn't do it all the time. I can have faith as small as a mustard seed or less. When I'm unfaithful, he remains faithful, the Bible tells us. So don't trust in your faith. Trust in him. So anyway, they're this. And they found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience. It's so beautiful. And you've labored for my name's sake. You're, you know, you're going to the ministries and you're doing it for the right reasons initially. And you're serving as unto the Lord. And you're cleaning the toilets. And you're, you know, you're bringing over the food. And you're, doing, and you're doing as unto the Lord as a worship. And then, you know, time starts to move on. The apostles, I mean, Jesus died and rose again, and he's been resurrected, and we've been doing this now for years. We're now in the 95th, 96th, 97 AD. So we've been doing this for 60 years or so, and it's a great church, and it's growing, and it's big, uh, and people are getting saved and uh, discipled, and it's wonderful, Uh, but something happens. Nevertheless, the Lord says, I have against this against you that you've left your first love. That you've left your first love. And what is your first love? 
Well, it's sort of like that honeymoon kind of love that you have with the Lord, you know what I mean? You find out the gospel. Somebody shares it with you. At least this is how it happened in my life. Uh, Yeah, okay, whatever. I go to church. Don't bug me with that. I'm a good little boy, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to go build my kingdom, and I don't want you messing with me because I don't want to be so all sold out. I don't, I don't want to be like, you know, um, uh, you know, fanatic or something. And I, and, 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 but, but, you know, so save it. And then the gospel comes again. <laughs> and then you start to read the Bible, and you're faced with your own shortcomings, sin. You know that you're a sinner. You know. You know how you know? Because you know what goes on up here and nobody else does. And some of the things that go through there, you're like, whoa, how does that get in there? You're like, I don't even want to think about that. And I'm thinking about it. And then you, or, or you know, uh, you're in a situation, oh, I'll never lie to my boss or something. And then, I hope he's not watching. But, uh, and then, and, uh, and then, you know, I'll never lie to my, and then just, you know, you know, did you do the report I asked you to do? Oh, yeah, I did the report. And then you run back, you know, you didn't do the report. And you're, you get back and you're like, why did I lie about it? And then you're faced, or, or things that are way worse than that, too, too unmentionable for in here, right? Things come in and you know you're, you're faced with it and you're like, uh-oh, I got a problem. And somebody shares the gospel with you and you're like, whoa. The Holy Spirit starts tugging on your heart. Whoa, wait a second. Hold on. And then what happens is you learn about what really grace is and mercy. What? That's the grace of God. Oh, the grace of God. Oh, yes. I tried to have a relationship with the Lord by climbing to the Lord, and I never realized that the Lord was extending his hand down to me in grace and mercy. And you learn that, and all of a sudden you go, whoa, wait a second. And you surrender your life to Christ, and you are stoked. You know, you say stuff like, man, I'm never doing that again. I'll never say those kinds of things again. I, I, I don't care. I mean, let's go. Let's move over to Burma and get with the free Burma. Let's do it. Right? And then and you're doing it and you're going along and then life settles in. And you recognize that you're still in some areas, you know, or like, whoa, where does that come from? Right? And then, you know, you you. Time goes by and time goes by and you come to the church and, you, and, and, then, and then the honeymoon period just kind of, uh, you know, just you're still doing it. You love the Lord, but it's just, you know, the, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about. And the, the stoked of the first love, it's not stoked anymore. I mean, you're, you know, you're dutiful and all that, but you're not doing your first love. And here he gives you the antidote, (laughs) if you should say it that way. He says, here, if you find yourself in that place, which we all get, he says, the Lord is so beautiful and wonderful. He says, do this first. Remember, what is it about the time that you were stoked (laughs) that you were doing? You say, oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Every time I was riding in the car, I would just turn the, you know, I didn't have to listen to the talk show. I turned that thing off and I just spoke to the Lord. People were driving down and they were like, what is this crazy guy doing? He's talking to the Lord. I was, listen, 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 listen. Go do that again. Oh, listen, I had, you know, the markers. I hear people say this all the time. When I first got saved, oh, man, I had these markers, and I was, you know, just highlighting my Bible, and I would look up every time the word prayer was in the Bible, and I'd do my own study, and it was so awesome. And, you know, I don't know what happened, but I lost the markers, and I don't really do that anymore. 
And I'm telling you what the Lord's saying right here. Go do that again. Don't let the love run out or grow cold. Whatever it is, I used to serve, I used to serve, and I used to see those kids' faces, and I could see in the other servants just the love of Jesus pouring out of them, and it gave me such a charge, and then, you know, I, what happened was, though, you know, I, you know, I got in that bowling league, and I played the hockey league, and then, oh my goodness, I had the Netflix uh, community, uh, you know, party that I have every Sunday night, and then before you know it, I, I, I just didn't, I stopped serving. He says, listen to what the Lord says. Go do that again. Are you dry? He says, remember. Remember what it was like when we were first, or, you know, when you first came unto me. Remember that and go do it. And you have fallen. Don't fool yourself. You've fallen. Don't fool yourself, folks. Don't fool yourself. You've fallen. And do this. Repent. We had one guy at my former church. We got in an argument, not we, but kind of us in the leadership. He we taught that repentance wasn't just the first time you come into the family of God, but you live in a state of repentance. And he's like, no, no way. You just repent one time. Well, here it is. Repent. Change your mind about where you've been. In other words, change your mind. What, look around. Be alert. Examine yourself, Paul says. What did you do when you were first in love? Go do that. <laughs> Go do that. And do the first works or else... I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. See, I want you to see this. I didn't see this for about the first 10 years of Christianity in my life. It's not about the rules. It's about the love. Here it is. He says, listen, I'm going to shut this place down. You see what he's saying? I'm shutting Ephesus down unless we repent and come back to the first love of where you uh, were uh, uh, just, you know, walking with me and talking with me. I don't want to remove it, but I will unless you repent and change your mind about what you're doing now and go the other way. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. That word is fascinating. It's a people, a people conqueror. It's the idea that crept into the church and started creeping into the church that the clergy and the laity are distinct. And that these people up here, I got to tell you, I'm just going to be honest with you. I even hate this thing. I don't like standing here. I'm sorry, they're going to move. But I like standing here. But because of you know, this thing, we had to move it. I like standing here. I usually stand here. I feel funny standing up here. The first time we came in the church, you know what was up here? A railing. Yeah, really. And you know what we did about five minutes in? <laughs> Pulled it out. Now, some people get mad if they are, uh, I was talking to somebody who used to come to the church. They didn't like that too much. And I'm not criticizing the people before us, but see, see how that stuff creeps in? Like this person's better or different than you? That's not true. We're just doing different roles. There shouldn't be this clergy-laity distinction like, oh, of course, the Bible says honor your leaders. Yeah, of course you'd honor your leaders. They're serving you and loving you and trying to be shepherds to you and all. Of course. But we're not different. Listen, if you have somebody out at your house and you want me to come pray with them, I'm great. I'll come. But my prayers aren't any different than your prayers. 
I mean, it's not me. It's the Lord. That's how we can have access. It's not my prayers that, that are different. Or anybody, or any uh, clergy laity. You get it? And so what was happening here, apparently, is that was starting to creep into the church. But this, or, and, and, and uh, these ones here in Ephesus, because you're going to see it again. And when I say the church, I mean the church at large, because the ones at Ephesus were saying, no way we're going to fall into that trap. And so they didn't. He who has an ear, Jesus says, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. One of the persons in my house is puzzled by this scripture and the ones that keeps going. Why does Jesus speak, but it's spoken, of, spoken through the Spirit? Well, because Jesus had the Spirit, I think. And one God in three persons. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so he is saying it to the churches, but if you have an ear, you hear too. And it should apply to you. Have you left your first love? Are you serving and growing, but that loving part of the relationship is fading? Remember and repent. He who overcomes, I will give Uh, to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Well, what's overcome? Well, you overcome this. uh, Every every warning that he gets, you've uh, become an overcomer. And in fact, you can find out uh, first uh, what overcome means specifically or generally, sorry, not specifically, generally in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. It's pretty significant. First, it's just two, three, four pages to your left. Look at this. For what is, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. You're an overcomer because of God. You've been born again, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So what he's telling you here, amazing, what he's telling you here is there's going to be this temptation that comes in for you to be a great servant, a great uh, worker, a patient person. The Lord's developing things in your life, and you're going to just keep steaming on, good, and, and it'll be good, and it'll, uh, the church might even be growing, but you're going to know, and probably only you, Maybe some others, but probably only you, only you, your first love has started to recede. And only you know that, and you need to be honest, and I need to be honest about that. When do I need to recharge with the Lord? Get up with the Lord. Turn off TV at 11 o'clock or whatever, and get to bed, and get up just 15 minutes earlier, 20 minutes, and spend time with the Lord, and just talk to him, and, 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 and say, what's going on, Lord? This is what's happening. Go back to your first love, whatever that is. If you need to get markers, we'll buy you markers. But whatever, you see, he who has ears to hear, really hear this, I'm going to give you to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. You're going to live with God forever. It's just a way of saying that. You're going to live with God forever because you're an overcomer. You keep the faith. And you're willing to listen to your heart or to the Holy Spirit, knowing that you're not really loving the Lord as you should or feeling the love, even though sometimes our feelings fade. I get it. And we just keep relying upon the word of God. And then the joy of the Lord is restored to us through the word. And so, man, keep doing that. Well, I've spent a lot of time on there and I'll never get through all of these. So uh, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this one. Smyrna. 
Smyrna, you see it up there. It's the next one in line. Smyrna, it's a word for crushing fragrance, spicy. It's like myrrh. It's derived from myrrh. Only when crushed. Myrrh comes only when crushed, right? And this fragrance comes out, and you are keenly aware of what myrrh is because you love to set up little creches, you know, and uh, put them out on your lawn, and you like to see the frankincense, the gold, and the myrrh because they were all the offices of Jesus. They spoke of, the listen, frankincense, the prayers of the saints, the priestly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gold, the kingly ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And, um, you know, prophet as well, prophet as well. But see, this king, this priest, this prophet had to die. And myrrh is burial spices. Oh, but I'm so glad you've been coming to Wednesday night service. I'm so glad because each one of you remembers that in Isaiah 60, it says in the millennial kingdom, when the other countries come to bring gifts to the Lord, they bring, oh, it's so wonderful, frankincense and gold, no myrrh. They don't bring myrrh. He's not dying. He's alive. Isn't that beautiful? So Smyrna, Smyrna. And uh, uh, we know, uh, as I read it to you, right? We know, as I read it to you, that there's this thing in there about this 10 day. There's tribulation for 10 days. And most people believe this is a reference to the 10 emperors of Rome that would exist uh, during a period of time that encapsulated about 100 A.D. to about 312 A.D. And this was a period of intense persecution, intense persecution in the region, okay? Uh, really intense persecution, and here's what he says to them. Write this to the angel in Smyrna. These things say the first and the last, um, who was uh, dead. By the way, I don't know if you noticed this, but here at the beginning of these first churches, check it with me, he introduces himself in the letter by the way that he looked in chapter 1. Do you understand what I'm saying? For instance, he says he was the first and the last. That comes from chapter 1, verse 11, and chapter 1, 17, where, he, where that was told of him. And also, who was dead and came to life. That's in chapter 1, verse 18. He's repeating what John said, or what John saw, and what John wrote in chapter 1. And now Jesus is referring to his attributes uh, to his attributes. Isn't, isn't that great? In, uh, he does this in the first three of these churches. He does this in the first three. Some, some believe he's giving you his attributes again. Oh, man, do you want to grow in the Lord? Study the attributes of God. Like, for instance, oh, man. I can't believe. I've been praying for my brother for 25 years. I'm not praying anymore. He's never going to get saved. Well, guess what you just did? And I may have said it too. Guess what we just did? We just uh, distorted the character of God. Because in Peter, it says that he's long-suffering during this period 
For what? Salvation. So it's his heart and will that all men would come to repentance. He's not slack concerning his promises. You understand? So why not, instead of complain, like sometimes I do, pray according to the attribute of God? Pray the scripture. Do you know somebody that's stubborn and won't come to the Lord? Pray that scripture. Pray the scripture uh, uh, that the Lord would uh, break them, right? And that they would become sacrifices that are broken and contrite. Pray according to what you know about the Lord. Okay, there's my plug. Man, I'm not even getting through one church. <clears throat> well, he says these things, says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. I know your works, tribulation and poverty, but you're rich. <laughs> Boy, I'd like to show that to some theology students. I know your works, your tribulations, and your poverty. But to me, the Lord says, you folks have it all. You got it all, man. That's what he says. You got everything. You got everything you need. You got everything in the world, and it's flowing over. You're rich. You're rich, and I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Apparently, some of the Jews, not all the Jews, but some of the Jews in the city uh, there in Smyrna had it out for the Christians and made it difficult. In fact, don't you remember this? Probably some of the Christians probably still went to synagogue. And when they went to this particular one or whatever, they probably were getting kicked out or made fun of or worse, right? Or getting marked for some telling on so that the Romans would come and do their deal, right? And so uh, the Lord calls it a synagogue of Satan. Don't fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Can you imagine hearing that from the Lord? I mean, this is no joke. This isn't, uh, you know, the guy in the next cubicle is telling people you're a Christian. That's not this. This is people being dragged around, stoned, killed, people you love, right in front of you. Don't fear any of these things which you're about to suffer. And the, indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation for these ten days. Again, some people believe that's that several-year period of ten emperors. And you will have tribulation ten days, but, but be faithful until death. And I'll give you the crown of life. For the martyred, persecuted saints... There's something about it. It's a purifying thing. It's a, when you're in suffering and you don't have the money that you, you, know, you think you need or you want, there's just something about it, about relying upon the Lord day by day like George Mueller. Just, Lord, I don't know where we're going to eat. I got eight kids around the table and my wife. I don't even know where we're going to eat. Knock, knock, knock. Want some groceries? And, 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 and more, just trusting in the Lord, trusting even in the Lord, even when you come into the place of, uh, of a position of uh, faced with death. You know, there's so many writings you could read about these persecutions in which these people stood up in the face of flame and lion and just said, you know, no flame could ever hurt me. I'm going to be with the Lord. And, and you know those stories. But here, uh, the Lord gives these things to you when you need them. He gives you the grace. Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. And see, here's what happens is we will be faithful because, in, in, the, in this sense, we're new creations in Christ. 
We're now slaves to righteousness. Uh, The Lord has imputed to us his righteousness. So, uh, you know, while we may fail and make mistakes, oh, yes, we will do that. But see, we don't have to slam ourselves because we made a mistake. We just confess it, uh, confess it to the people that we hurt, and then get up and keep walking again because we have the righteousness of Christ. In fact, it says in the famous uh, spirit uh, uh, passage in Galatians 5, 22 and onward, it says, you know, here's the, the gifts of the spirit, da 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 goes through it, da-da-da-da, and then it says this. It's amazing. It's again, again um, uh, Against such things, there is no law. There's no law against them. Nobody could more, uh, uh, legislate them. No one could keep me from doing it. Nobody can keep me from loving you. Nobody can keep me from forgiving you. Nobody can keep me from having joy. The Lord's joy. You see it? And they, they, it can't be legislated here. And they have this crown of life because they're new creations. And they, the Lord has chosen them for persecution. And they've overcome It's so beautiful. And he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. The second death. Oh, we talked about this last week. I don't want anybody in here to head or be uh, or appear at the great white throne judgment. Uh, The great white throne judgment is found in Revelation 20. You can go there. And it says, remember I, remember I read this, there was a great white throne and him who sat on it, verse 11, from whose faith uh, the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by things which were written in the book. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Look at this. Look. This is the second death. Folks, unless the Lord comes back first and raptures us up, I got news for us. We're going to die. That's the first death. But guess what? We won't be at that second death in Christ Jesus. We're going to live forever with him forever. We won't be cast in to the lake of fire. That's the ultimate resting place of the dead. That's hell. You know why? I don't know if you caught it here. I said it last week, but it's so beautiful. Because, see, everybody that's standing before the great right throne judgment will be judged according to their works. Were you per, were you, did, you, did you measure up to the glory of God? The Lord will be perfectly fair. If you failed in just one point, lake of fire, you know what we're doing? We're getting there, and the Lord says, oh, my. (laughs) I see the blood of your son. You're washed in the blood, and now you have the robes of righteousness. Isaiah 61. See why the Old Testament's important. Isaiah 61. You have the robes of righteousness. Come on in. Now, by the way, you will be judged in heaven. It's just not the great white throne judgment. There's a Bema seat judgment. It's in 2 Corinthians 5 and also in Romans And that judgment is, like, what did you do with the gifts I gave you? What what was wood, hay, and stubble and burned up, and what do you bring on into eternity? Get it? And crowns and such and such, those things. But that's nothing to fear. That's an opportunity to, even if you get some crowns, what are you going to do with the crowns? Oh, lay them back at the feet of Jesus. You're going to worship the Lord with your crowns even. 
So, so beautiful. Okay, so that's the second death. And the Lord says here, he, uh, uh, he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Here's what I want you to remember every time you hear, see that word overcome. I want you to go, oh, oh yeah, 1 John 5. Faith, trust, believe. You get it? Because here's what you're saying. Here's what I'm saying every time I hear the word overcome. I wonder if I can overcome. <laughs> See, I got it backwards. I'm putting the onus on me. Here's what the onus is. It's on him. Lord, if I just keep looking to you, I can overcome. You'll give me the grace and the strength. And even if I mess up, I can come back and you'll help me, Lord. That's overcome. Okay, last one. I can only do three. Mike was right. I was wrong. (laughs) By the way, during this time, in some of the cities... Uh, what Caesar, the, the Roman emperors, started to do was start putting temples in the cities. And they would make a, uh, a statute or an idol to themselves. And they would ask that you, as a Christian or anybody, take a pinch of incense and dash it in the temple and say, Hail to Caesar or praise Caesar or whatever they would make you say. So they had a litmus test for the Christians, Right? So file that away for a minute. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, you see it up there. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos, write this. These things say he who has the sharp two-edged sword. Oh, isn't that interesting? That's in chapter 1, verse 16. It's a description of who he is in the resurrected Lord. He keeps doing it because he's arousing in them love and affection. How's he doing it? Through his character, through who he is. Do I have to even expand on that? Do it for yourself at home, in the quiet of your study, or when you're walking and talking with the Lord. Find out who he is and worship him there. Uh, So beautiful. So these things, he says, he has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now, this is a big, nobody knows what this means. If you read 20 commentators, you'd get 19 answers. Maybe two would agree. Some believe it's those places that were erected to the, the temple to the uh, Caesar. Some people believe that was Satan's throne. And you hold fast to my name and didn't deny me. Or some, sorry, some people believe it was an altar to Zeus. But there's lots of different theories where Satan's throne is. But notice this. This is what I really want you to notice about the church of Pergamos. I want you to notice that the church was close to the things of the enemy. Because here you go. Don't tune out yet. Pergamus is a word that means some sort of mixed up marriage. It's that marriage that you shouldn't get married. It's like being a Christian and knowing the other person's not a Christian and just saying, heck with it, I'm going for it. But in this case... What it is is, in 312, guess what happened? In, or, uh, yeah, 312 AD, guess what happened? There was this guy named Constantine. Maybe you ever heard of him. Constantine was the Roman emperor, but what happened was after these 10 uh, Roman emperors uh, kind of flamed out, there were these two competing generals, and one was Constantine, and you remember it? They came to this river, and there was this bridge, and Constantine went out uh, and kind of stood and looked up in the sky, and he had a vision. This is extra biblical writing, but he had a vision. He had a vision of a cross in the sky. 
And then he was like, whoa, that's weird. I know the Christians think about the cross, and I'm a Roman emperor, and that's weird. And then he heard a voice, and the voice said, I want you to conquer in the name of that symbol. (laughs) And then he says in his writings that the picture of the cross like tilted towards him, and it made the first two letters of the word Christ in his Roman language or in the Greek language, okay? And so he was like, whoa, and he converted to Christianity in 312. And so what he did was, it's amazing, it's so weird how the Lord worked this out. The 10th emperor before Constantine, who was one of the worst persecutors of the Christians, actually wrote a, a, a decree of tolerance And said, you know what, I don't know why he wrote it, it had to have been the Lord, I guess, or I don't know what it was. You know what we should do, basically, he said in this decree of tolerance, we should ease up on the Christians. So now Constantine comes after he's uh, out, and and he wins the battle, and he goes and he makes religion, or he makes Christianity the religion, so to speak, of Rome, and all Romans, Rome provinces. He gets baptized in the whole shooting match. And so for uh, the next several hundred years, about 300 years, Christianity is the official, listen to this, the official religion of the Roman world. Ah, but guess what happens? You're going to see what happens. These things, he says, you hold, uh, he, says, he says here, uh, you, you dwell where Satan's throne is. You're close to the world. There's this, been this mixed marriage of state and government that I never wanted. And where Satan's throne is, you remember the the vestiges of how the Romans were wanting you to bow down, and that's still around. And Even though it's the new uh, religion to be Christianity, you're really close to these ideas and these things that the Romans and the world says are okay, like, you know, sexual immorality and those sorts of things. My friend, though, this one man, Antipas, he was a faithful martyr. That was cool, and you know what I mean who was killed among you where Satan dwells, but I have a few things against you because you have uh, he, there those who held the doctrine of Balaam. Oh my, folks, you got to know the Old Testament. This is found in Numbers 24 through 26. If you only read Numbers 24 through 26, you know what you'd say? Well, what did Balaam do wrong? He didn't do anything wrong. And here's what happened. The Israelites are coming up to uh, go into the uh, uh, promised land. They get on the other side of the Jordan in a place called Moab. And the king of Moab says to uh, uh, him, to Balaam, he says, how do you say it? Balaam. He says to Balaam, he says to Balaam, hey, listen, I know you're probably good with God, so come up here and I want you to curse these Israelites. And he's like, he goes to God three times, and God says, you can't curse my people. You're going to say good stuff about my people. And he's like, oh, okay. So he goes to the king, and he goes, listen, I'll say what the Lord tells me to say. And for three times, look at this, he pronounces blessing upon the Israelites, and the king's ticked. He's like, what's going on here? And really, kind of the chapter ends. But then the next chapter happens, and we see that the Israelites fall into idolatry and sexual immorality with the Moabite women. And you're like, well, come on. I mean, Balaam didn't do anything wrong, except for you got to read all the way through Numbers. In Numbers 31, I think verse 16, it says that Balaam did this. He sold out to get them to mix 
with people that they weren't supposed to. Not in some racial sense, but in a sense of a a spiritual sense. They weren't yoked with them, and God said, don't do it, right? And so he he, he said, but Balaam, for money, got them involved, and the Lord, listen to this, look at this, the Lord never forgot it. He, He never forgot it. Now, thank the Lord for us. He takes our sins as far as the east and the west, and he forgets it. But he, these people, look here, in Pergamos, they hold the doctrine of Balaam. It's this. I'm going to be close. Look at this. Look at this. I'm going to be close around the church. I might even say the church stuff. I might even hear from the Lord once in a while, but I'm going to hold Man, but when it comes to money and the things that I want to do, like pornography, what do the statistics tell us? The statistics say there's a lot of people in this room looking at pornography. And a lot of people in churches looking at pornography. I, th- I was at a pastor's conference a couple years ago. It said 68% of all pastors regularly, not just sometimes, regularly look at pornography. So we're around the church. We're saying churchy things. But we're close to the world. And we let the world impact us. In fact, we'll sell out the church when nobody's looking. You get it? That's what this church was like. And they say, uh, uh, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things, sacrifice to idols, and to confirm sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Again, clergy laity. We lord it over you. You're not us. Let us interpret the Bible for you. Sound familiar? Which thing I hate, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now you know that is a two-edged sword, Hebrews 4, but also in Roman, or excuse me, Revelation 19, when Jesus comes back, it says he's going to war with that sword, which means he's saying, I'll war against you if you don't repent. Whew. I'll fight against you with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to him who overcomes. And now you know what overcomes is, John, 1 John 5. I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. Listen, if you'll turn away, you know what I'll do? I'm the hidden manna. I'll give you myself. That's what he's saying. I'm the bread of life. He's saying, if you'll turn from that stuff, I, okay, you've been hiding it. Okay. You've sold out the church. Okay, I'm big enough to handle that, the Lord says. If you'll turn back to me, catch this, I'll give you the hidden manna. I'm going to give you myself to eat. And I'll give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. And I'll stop here. Look at this. This is fascinating. In the uh, uh, ancient world, they used to have a white or a black stone. And when you do things like go vote, instead of hanging chads, (laughs) you had uh, black and white pebbles. And you'd drop it in the box whether you voted yes or no. Or at a trial because people would get mad (laughs) And they wanted to be anonymous. They'd have a white stone and a black stone, and they'd drop one. And then the, the jury person would count it up, and they'd say, oh, guilty, or oh, not guilty. Now read it again with me. If you'll repent and turn from these things, I'll give you a white stone. 
In other words, I'm voting for you. In, in other words, you're not guilty. I'll give you a white stone, and on the stone, guess what's going to be on the stone? I'm even going to pick out a new name. This is referred several times here in the book of Revelation. There's something that's just going to be between you and the Lord, which no one knows except him who receives it. Just you and the Lord are going to know that pet name, or if I can say pet name, I don't know. But a name that it's just going to be between you and the Lord. As you repent, as you come back to him, I want you to see how tender this is. You see, Jan had it right. <laughs> I wanted to get to the events. <laughs> she stopped for the people. He knows there are events coming. But he says there's judgment going to be in the house of the Lord first, he tells us. And he's saying, you guys are so precious to me. I really want you to know and to repent and be prepared and just come and love me and all those things will sort themselves out. So we're going to pray. Now listen, I don't want you to think I don't think there's a paradigm or there's a structure to about what we're about ready to study. I, I also don't want you to think I don't think it's important. It is important. 6 through 19, very important. I want you to know it. I want you to know it like the back of your hand. As much as you can know it, I want you to know it. But I never want to forget the people. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for your word. It's so powerful. How can it be, Lord, that it's all those years ago written, but so relevant for today? It's because, Lord, you're perfect. You're the first and the last. You've come to life. You were dead, Lord. You're perfect. And, Lord, you can do it <laughs> in our lives. Whatever it is, whatever's going on in our lives, you are our all in all. You'll be our peace, our comfort, our strength. Lord, you have our future mapped out. You know what we're going to go through and what we aren't going to go through. You look down here. You're right here right now. You're listening in to this little group in this little place in this hot night in the middle of Pennsylvania. Well, I guess the southwestern part of Pennsylvania. But Lord, just tells me how much you care and how much you want us to know. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless these people as they move from here tonight. Lord, to come back to their first love, to separate themselves from the world to not resist being poor and persecuted because it's a purifying thing that you do, Lord. Help us, Lord, to have a perspective like you have by your Spirit in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen, Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I got good news for me. I don't have to study too much next week. <laughs> and uh, you have a great week, and God bless you guys.